Every week, we bring you perspectives, business advice, and more from the leading executives, entrepreneurs, and investors who are building, diversifying, and leading the way in the country's fastest-growing metro markets. Real leaders, real insights, right now. At the recent Invest South Jersey 2022-2023 Leadership Summit, the second panel was titled Money on the Move. A look at what investors need to do in an evolving economic landscape and how banks and financial institutions can help. The panelists included Albert Fox, Managing Director, Wealth Management Financial Advisor at Fox, Penberthy and Dean at Morgan Stanley. George DeStaffney, President of the New Jersey Region at Ocean First Bank and Gregory Carlisle, Senior Vice President of Southern New Jersey and Coastal Market President at TD Bank. Thank you and enjoy. All right. And with that being said, we'll go ahead and get started with our second panel for today. And it's also our final panel as well. It is Money on the Move, a look at what investors need to do in an evolving economic landscape and how banks and financial institutions can help. At this time, I would like to invite on Albert Fox, Managing Director, Wealth Management Financial Advisor at Fox, Penberthy, and Dean at Morgan Stanley. George. Up next, we'll have George DeStaffney, President, New Jersey Region, Ocean First Bank. And lastly, but not least, we'll have Greg Carlisle, Senior Vice President, Southern New Jersey and Coastal Market President, TD Bank. Okay, great. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us today for this panel discussion. I think it's uh, particularly relevant, especially after uh, Fed Chair Powell and his announcement yesterday. So we're looking forward to diving right in. This first question goes for, for everyone, so whoever would like to take a uh, start can. The last two years or so, we've seen business conducted at a breakneck pace with almost insurmountable demand across a variety of sectors. Now there's talk of a correction, how we can contextualize today's current environment when looking at the last two years, and why does that matter when people are talking about a potential economic downturn? So let me kick that off. Good morning, everybody. It's nice to see some great faces. I want to just start with acknowledging Invest and what a great job you all do of putting everybody in the room. So let's just give them a minute round of applause. So thank you for that. Let's take a step backwards and think about COVID as it relates to that question. Generally speaking, you might summarize the business climate. I know these guys are going to build onto this. We've seen 10 years worth of progress in a two-year period of time. So I think it's important, right, to take a step back and understand that a lot of the landscape's changed, but a lot of the landscape has just simply given more choices and more tools. And now we have to be very purposeful and deliberate to evaluate what those tools mean, how they get used, what's worked well, and do more of it, and what hasn't worked well, and either make it better or move along past it. So I think that's probably the main issue economically and in the business climate and I think everybody would be worthwhile to just take a pause and think about that for a second. It's a big pendulum, and 10 years worth of progress in two years is a lot to digest. Thanks, Albert. Thanks, everyone. Did anyone say happy Groundhog Day yet? <laughs> it's all shadow, man. Six more weeks. Six more weeks. Bad news for everybody. 
I'd say everything else that is right. Uh, I think technology, we've seen that move forward a bit. Um, uh, so looking at the past two years, I'd, I'd agree with that. Uh, we've seen it in the banking industry for sure with the advent of, uh, with the increased adoption of mobile technology and that type of thing. Um, but what I tell you in the context of, uh, you know, a potential recession, I think you gotta also have to look at the financial impact over the last two years. We've seen companies' balance sheets get better than they had been, uh, really ever. We've seen consumer households uh, get stronger than they had been. Uh, we have one of the strongest uh, unemployment uh, or employment markets that we've seen uh, in history, and particularly here in New Jersey, some of the lowest uh, unemployment we've seen uh, on record. So what does that all that mean in the context of the of recession? Could we see economic slowdown? Potentially, yes. But where we're seeing it is in goods, uh, the goods inflation, right? That's really what's been persistent. Uh, wage inflation, I'm sorry, goods inflation is correcting, but we see wage inflation that uh, that's persistent. So what does that mean? Households are stronger, uh, the employment market stronger. So with all those components, you know, you could potentially see uh, strong balance sheets, strong consumers, strong unemployment, uh, and then potentially a mild recession, all that could be fine, but then, uh, you know, households and companies would weather that okay. So, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I, I'll, I'll look at it from a slightly different angle. So I would say while the, you know, the progress has been made the last two to three years, uh, it's been about adjustment and a little bit of survival of our businesses through the pandemic. Um, there was a small degree for some industries and some businesses that still hold a little bit true today. Uh, I know they just talked about it up here on this panel, labor shortages and the related high cost of that labor it still remains an issue for, for some of the businesses that, that I work with. Um, you know, many of us focused on keeping our doors open during PPP and figuring out how to navigate the ever, ever moving goalposts of that forgiveness piece. Uh, but while doing that, the market became really flooded with cash like we've never seen before. Um, so ironically, during a pandemic shutdown or slowdown, you know, it allowed companies and businesses to, to expand and take on more, probably likely beyond more than what you even realized yourselves uh, and your own expectations at a pace that we just we couldn't predict or foresee. But you fast forward into now, uh, there's many deliberate measures in place to slow the economy. You know, Fed just rose rates again yesterday. Uh, you know, that it came at us rather quickly. You talk about rising rates, little to no more government money coming out, emergency loans that are now back in repayment mode. Uh, it's causing a strain on some businesses and, and some industries. So, which if a looming recession does hit, um, it'll only become a little more painfully felt. Um, for me personally, I, I try to keep it rather simple. Uh, I like to follow the housing market trends. My thought process is it's a key performance indicator um, to see how the economy is really doing. So simply put, if you can buy a house, um, you likely have a stable, uh, good paying job with, with a little bit of money saved. Um, and to me, they're both positive signs of a, of, a, of a good, stable economy. Conversely, if you see you know, uh, things slowing down or the housing market slow down, or come to a halt, there's possibly larger uh, things at play, not just simply interest rates, which always seems to grab the headlines. Great, thank you all for that. Um, the next question I'd like to dive into is the most recent CPI data, which suggests the potential that inflation is beginning to cool. Uh, while it's still maybe too early to say, is there any possibility of entering a deflationary environment? And what does that mean both for the wider economy, investors looking for opportunities, and how your organizations are preparing for that future. So, so let, me, let me set the stage with that. So Bureau of Labor Statistics, which comes out monthly, just take this in, is eight categories and 200 broad items. So it's a different number every single month. 
on a year-over-year basis. So what was going on a month ago, three months ago, six months ago, is constantly evolving. So bear that in mind right as your backdrop. It's not a secret that everyone that goes into the grocery store and buys a dozen eggs and figures out that there's $6 a dozen. That affects everybody, whether you've got five bucks in your pocket or five million in your pocket. It affects everybody. So our view is this process is going to be longer than people expect. There's going to be a permanency to it. There's some things that the Federal Reserve can't influence. A year ago, if we sat here, the Ukraine didn't know they were going to get invaded by Russia. A year ago, they didn't know. You can't influence that, right? So the Fed has some limited activity. So our view is inflation is going to stick around a little longer than people expect and be a little more uncomfortable than people think. Yeah, and on the note of uh, inflation, inflation has some pretty destructive power to it, right? I mean, if you think about uh, how it impacts people differently, uh, I was reading an article yesterday in, in the journal, something like 1.7% of households that make $100,000 or more have monthly expenses that exceed their income, right? So if you think about what that means at the $100,000 level, but then we take it down to the $50,000 level, it's something like 7.5% of those households aren't have expenses that exceed income. That's directly correlated to inflation and the destructive power that it has. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that is that is really why you have to get uh, inflation under control. It, it just it, it can really destroy economies. Um, just to touch on something Greg said before around the housing market. You know, I think people are looking around saying, "Hey, the housing market, there's nothing selling, there's nothing moving," and for the most part, that's that's not and that's a fairly accurate statement. But what we did see in the in the fourth quarter of last year and even into this year. That we see that home prices right? Home prices were actually up six percent in the fourth quarter of last year. So that's saying that these that these weird anomalies are happening, where interest rates are higher, home prices are holding. There's no inventory on the market, and people that have homes aren't aren't inclined to sell them because of the rates that they're in now. So it's it's really an interesting thing, and I think uh, Albert's right in that it, that may persist longer than you think it is, just given what those dynamics, given what those market indicators are telling. So my phone was ringing, so I don't either that was Groundhog or that's more rates rising. I don't know, but uh, I thought people knew I was at this event, but I guess not. But I know for me personally, I'll speak personally, right? We're all not only are we all in the business community, but we're all, you know, we all have a family and, and we're all personal consumers ourselves. You know, the CPI thing, um, you know, it's it we're feeling the pain in my home, quite frankly, you know. My son likes to eat two dozen eggs at every meal, it seems like. Um, but from the latest I read, it's up 6.5% over 12 months. Food, clothing, utilities, taxes, insurance. Every time I open up a bill, it's it's just another increase. My my water bill is just ridiculous. Um, and they're up significantly, and the costs are good. They're up for many reasons. We talked about inflation. You know, The businesses, when they borrow, they pass on to the consumer. There's a higher cost of labor, all that stuff. Um, the, the, the supply, it's remaining low and the demand is still high, which is very interesting to me um, that many people are very comfortable going into either credit card debt or they're, 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 they're comfortable living beyond their means, which at some point, you know, that, that has to change. Uh, I do think maybe with some cooling on interest rates, we could see a CPI level off. Uh, I'm not bullish on that. Anything deflationary in 2023 anytime soon. Uh, but so I would say for those of you in the room that are thinking of planning for the future or seeking your next deal, I, I think it's going to require, require really honest forecasting, um, conservative forecasting on the expense load side to really make sure uh, the deal you're about to enter into 
it's going to net you the, the, the net desired ROI. Um, you know, and that could be for simply buying a piece of real estate. It could also be for adding another employee. You know, for, for me, is it a good point in time to add another asset or should you, you know, work on your efficiency ratios and make sure that you're getting everything out of your current assets that you can? I think there are questions you need to ask yourself. Thank you, Greg, George, and Al. The uh, next question I have does tie in very well. It's um, geared towards George, but if anyone else would like to jump in, please feel free to do so. Americans have, uh, for the most part, burnt through a lot of their pandemic savings, uh, as we've highlighted with inflation. While the impact of rates may draw headlines, there are benefits for those who save and hold on to cash. Uh, how does the current rate environment benefit those holding on to their money? And is there a possibility that we see a shift from spending to saving? Yeah, unfortunately, now you're seeing the opposite of that. So I, you know, the, the premise that um, that households have burned through their savings it may or may not be right. You know, if you look at, if you measure that in terms of bank deposits, right, bank deposits as a whole in the system or something like they, during the height of the pandemic, were something like 19.6 trillion. That's pulled down to 19.3 trillion, but it's still way above pre-pandemic level. So there's still savings out there. The savings rate is lower. The savings rate during the pandemic when people were home reached as high as 30%, right? That's down to 3%, but households still have, have dollars. But for the folks that have dollars, what does it mean in this rate environment? Of course, they earn higher higher rates on their on their dollar. But what it really means is uh, the ability to continue uh, continue lifestyle through, uh, through this inflationary period that we're experiencing, right? I think what, what we all know is that as uh, as prices continue and the savings rate continues to, to decline, what you're gonna see is impacts in discretionary spending, right? You're going to see impacts in, uh, you know, hospitality. You're going to see impacts, uh, you know, restaurants, marines, anything that's discretionary. You're going to see some impact. That's generally the first, uh, the first thing that goes. But, uh, you know, I'm a little bit more bullish on the U.S. consumer, uh, especially because of what we see in the in the jobs market, especially because there's still a positive savings rate. Um, you know, I, I just think there's a, a lot of pos uh, there's a lot of pluses there. The interesting thing is that when you look at households as unemployment or news of unemployment begins to tick up, household savings actually increase, right? Because the the, the idea is that uh, if I can walk out tomorrow and get another job, I don't have to save for a rainy day fund. But these headline news that you hear around job openings and things create the incentive to begin saving. And just a, just a one more point on, on job openings. Um, you know, I think we've all seen a lot of headline news. You know, Microsoft is laying off 120,000 people. But if you look at the number of layoffs in total over a longer period of time, it's not really abnormally high. You know, the the market continues to be resilient, and that says a lot about consumers and their ability to uh, continue to do things uh, in, in this market today. So, hey, thank you, Greg. Al, is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, no, I think he put it he put it well. Perfect. Uh, the next question I have is more directed towards Al. Uh, at the end of 2022. Uh, the journal noted that that classic 60-40 mix of uh, stocks and, and bonds was um, uh, take, take, had taken a toll in 2022. Um, so what I was hoping to ask is, where do you look for the most strategic returns? And how do you keep clients focused when it seems headlines would rather focus on the market's current downside rather than opportunities? All right, so that's a lot. Let me unpack that. I can do that in the next three hours. <laughs> we have three minutes. So here's here's the backdrop to this, right? You saw the most difficult bond market in history in the last 40 years. When interest rates rise, it puts pressure on stock prices. Stock prices, the more overvalued they were, 
the more aggressively they correct it. So this is all yesterday's news. This is all last year's narrative. So traditionally thinking, you go into a year with a balanced portfolio and you would feel, keyword, feel, I'm going to be protected. Well, not the case when interest rates are rising. You can't fight the Fed. So last year's environment was literally a nowhere to hide environment with good guidance, with good financial planning, focusing on long-term goals and objectives, making sure you keep your spending in line with your earnings, in line with your longer-term goals. You can navigate through this. But that's an easy thing to say. It's a much harder thing to do. And people love, especially the media, to talk about what you should have done as opposed to being preemptive. So the media is our friend in some regards, and in some regards, not our friend, because they drive emotion, they drive headlines, and they talk about things that are super easy to do. Pick the area you need to be in now to avoid this. Really easy to say, almost virtually impossible to do, and forecasts are just that. They're just predictions. So after 30 years of doing what I'm doing, there are no special places to hide. There are no secret tricks. There are no gimmicks. You have to have a long-term disciplined plan and execute on that plan and not follow after the news nugget of the day or the headline of the day. There are no easy ways to do it. And I would just conclude this piece of it with when someone says, well, this time it's different. It's never different. It's always the same. The set of circumstances are different, but the repeatability, the fact pattern, is identical in this environment, this environment too shall pass. It'll pass. I hope that's helpful. Thank you, Al. Uh, Greg, George, is there anything you'd like to add? If not, we could go on to a question actually geared towards you, George, uh, looking more over the South Jersey landscape. Uh, as I'm sorry, Greg, <laughs> my, my bad. George, Greg. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my apologies. Uh, so as the Senior Vice President for Commercial Lending at TD Bank, when you specifically look across the South Jersey business landscape, where do you see the greatest opportunities for companies to leverage today's market into potential gains? And how can local banks help facilitate that growth across the region? So again, a lot to unpack in three minutes. Uh, so to be honest with you, I think this question can be answered in a lot of different directions. Um, you could look at diversifying your portfolio, you know, going to more equity versus debt strategy. Perhaps you could, uh, you know, look at maybe picking up a weaker competitor if all things were to align properly and line up for you in the right way. Um, you know, that being said, the feeling that that I have, the way that 2023 is going to remain uh, a challenging operating environment, I personally think when I'm talking to my clients, the best thing for them to do at this time is focus on the current operations and their current assets. Um, you know, talk talk about focusing on stabilizing and strengthening your current infrastructure. Um, unless some kind of deal falls into your lap that you just cannot pass up. Um, you know, I mentioned a little bit earlier, improving your efficiency ratios. Make sure all the assets that you do have, the employees that you have, they're netting you the return that you require. Um, you know, many of us in this room have employees that we can say, you know, what are they doing all day? Um, you know, I, I'd also say, I, but, but with that said, you know, I would say take time to invest in your people for, for me and, and my team. Um, employee turnover, it's a massive and a wasteful, inefficient expense. You know, commit to developing your people, retaining them, and which is going to help attract new talent. You know, we've seen through the pandemic, happy, fulfilled, and engaged employees are, are the lifeblood of any successful organization. I know the previous panel talked about it. Uh, so you should make sure you're definitely investing in your people if that's one walk away from, from today. 
Um, you know, we all know that there's a worker revolution going on right now. Uh, and quite frankly, by many studies I've read, some of my colleagues are here, uh, Chantel Capitacasa, uh, that runs Burlington and Camden. We were, uh, we were at a uh, seminar last, back in December in, in Orlando. And, you know, this worker revolution comes in many shapes and forms, a lot of it through retirement, uh, as well. The studies that show the baby boomers that are leaving the workforce in the next one to two years, with the workforce that's coming out of colleges, um, just smaller families have taken place in the United States. The numbers just aren't there. So when I say invest in your current people today, make sure that they're happy, make sure that they're, you know, they're part of your culture and your organization, because, um, you know, I think investing in your employees in good times and bad will, will, will come through. And again, there will be more of a shortage coming out. Um, you asked what, how a banker can play the role personally for me. Um, you know, I, I think it's multi, multifaceted. Your bank can provide you working capital lines for payroll. They can, you know, they can work with you with treasury solutions and how money moves in and out of the business, speed up your receivables, maybe slow down your payables, maximize your cash flow, uh, and hire some top talent. Um, but I think one of the roles that a banker needs to play is also being in the community. Uh, so if you own a, a manufacturing company or a professional services company, I would say make sure that you're connected to your banker because they should be connected to other people, whether through social media or events like this, and they can connect you maybe to your next you know, star employee. Thank you for that, Greg. I would like to follow up just in regards to that, um, the need to invest in your people. Uh, is there anything that you can speak to from a banking or wealth management side, just in terms of strategizing to recruit uh, new talent into the industry, understanding that every industry is trying to do the same thing from a healthcare to a manufacturing, to construction trades and everything in between. It seems that there's a lot of competition in the market. So how does banking or the wealth management piece stand out? I, I mean, I we, we face this. We have openings at, at our organization. Um, the pandemic changed everything. So, you know, what, what, what my uh, foundation of work beliefs are is maybe not what the, the new generation is or the next coming generation is. Um, need to be open-minded, need to listen. Uh, rather than talk. Uh, so I, I think that's the greatest thing. Go into a conversation open-minded. I think what the pandemic at least taught me from a people manager standpoint, um, taught me to be a little bit more emotionally intelligent. People, everybody has a pandemic story and you need to be open-minded to that. Um, if somebody can figure out a way, I haven't done it, but if somebody can figure out a way to, you know, hit their performance metrics and their goals in a three hour work day from the beach, so be it. Uh, <laughs> I haven't figured it out. I hope they would share it with me. But but I recognize a lot of production was done. A lot of business was done during the pandemic in a very alternative way. So I need to be open-minded as the people manager. So for me, I would say, you know, put your biases aside and your own personal beliefs and at least listen. Great. Thanks, Greg. George, Alice, is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah. It's it, it's no longer a reactive game hiring people, right? It's, you got to be very proactive about it. So companies now have done a good job of investing in proactive marketing to attract people. So Ocean First, for example, we launched a program last year called an Edge program, right? And the Edge program is designed to go out in the communities and pull people into the organization. We lost that. We launched that last year. We had five five candidates. We're doing it this year with twenty five candidates, right? Because we have to go out, and that's a management development program. So what what I, when we're out talking to clients, they're out saying the same thing, right? That um, of course, pay is certainly important, but it's really lower on the scale than reinvestment in your employees, right? It's about the, the ability to invest in them, educate, manage, develop talent. And that's how you're winning talent and retaining talent. Um, certainly the work from home thing, 
weighs into everybody's uh, weighs into everybody's equation today. But there's less and less of that, right? We see companies pulling people back to work. It's actually interesting. There's a company called uh, Castle. Castle measures the number of swipes in office buildings, uh, particularly uh, in metro areas. And for the first time last month, Castle uh, measured over 50% occupancy in buildings. So people are coming back. That work from home thing is still here. It's still real. It's still a recruitment challenge. Uh, but hopefully companies are starting to get more and more uh, people back into offices because you need it. You need it for collaboration. You need it for mentoring. You need it for uh, bringing the next generation up and transferring that 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 talent and that education to folks that may be leaving the work uh, of course you need to be able to, to transfer that to the next generation so it's a combination of all of the above I, I would only add what I started with was 10 years of progress in two years so you know in our we we're a big firm Morgan Stanley is a big firm but we have a small team of 14 people so I think what we did a really good job of was figuring out what people needed and what people wanted and coming together and figuring out how can we all collaborate and be most effective. So I, I agree with if you can do it in three hours, not eight, you should do it in three hours. I also think that the educators that were up here earlier said some things that were really important takeaways that I think, you know, I took a few notes from, but we have to tell the education system what it is employers need so they can help connect those bridges. And that's, again, one of those easy to say things and really, really hard to do things. We've had deep embedded relationships, especially with Rutgers Camden through developing young people and internships. And we, we tend to find that the best way to find new people is just continuously talk about your value added proposition and that you're looking for people because you never know where that next human being actually can come from. But I think everybody in this room faces the challenge of, we all want more, we all need more people. It, it, that, and that challenge isn't going away. Uh, one little dovetail off of that, this goes back to the Federal Reserve. No one wants to talk about the 5 million service sector workers that are not coming back to the economy, right? So we have all these job openings, but we don't have people that are coming back for them. And until we address that gap, you talked about that. We're all we're all reading the same sheet of music trying to figure it out. So they're, they're, they're my thoughts. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all. Um, and back to George's notion of being needing to be more proactive rather than reactionary. I did want to get a gauge for what the future might look like for you and your clients and how you plan to navigate the next 12 to 18 months, uh, noting that no one has a crystal ball course, but uh, it's still important to, to game plan. And I'm just curious how your organizations have been doing as such. So I, I look at it through the eyes of our, our clients, right? We're, uh, we're in a fortunate position, Greg and I, very similar that we have the ability to go out and, and talk to companies within the community and, and listen to what they're telling us and use that as, as kind of a barometer. Um, I, I'll kind of say the same thing I said before, where companies' balance sheets continue to be helpful, right? That means they're in a, in a relatively decent position. Uh, the challenges that they're going to face as we get into this market is, uh, as we continue to look forward to this next 12 months, as you th see things to Greg's point, like March compression, where companies have been able to pass cost along to their customers for the last really two years, right? The cost increases and you're all seeing it. That's all slowing down now, right? So there's going to be, there's going to be pressure on, on margins, which could make it a little bit more difficult for, um, for companies. But so they'll figure out other ways to to uh, to make sure that um, the company remains healthy, right? They'll figure out investments in technology. I was out walking a um, warehouse at 80,000 square foot distribution center, uh, and that company's moved to uh, robotics for moving stuff in and out of uh, in and out of orders, right? So instead of having 
So when pushing a cart, there's a robot that follows them down the aisle, right? So they figure out ways to get innovative to make sure that their company continues to, to stay to stay sound. So, you know, I think for the most part, if people can maintain healthy balance sheets, uh, maintain their employee base and continue to innovate, and as Greg said, I don't want to step on him too much, but uh, create, continue to create efficiencies, they'll be healthy and they'll get through the next, people will figure it out. They'll get through the next second. Yeah, uh, uh, so I, I know we discussed this a lot. I won't add too much more. Um, but, you know, reinforcing key factors, variables that oh, I know we've said that they're just beyond our control. You know, they're including, but not limited to what, what, where, what are the rates going to do? Where, you know, where are the costs of goods are going to go? Will the supply chain get healthier? Um, what's going to happen in Europe and China? Uh, how will the labor market shake out? Will unemployment remain strong? There's so many questions. Uh, and, and within that unemployment, will there be good jobs, uh, you know, accounted for um, in those numbers? You know, um, and is a is a recession upon us? You know, all, all those questions need to be carefully thought through and strategizing. If, if you're owning a business or or if you're looking to make your your next move, um, you know, for me, I, I think banks' responsibilities are to take a holistic approach uh, when, when talking to you. We're not just lenders of money. My team in the in the room knows there's an old saying in banking: "That's your lender. That's your lender." That drives me up a wall. Because we're not just lenders of money, we're bankers. We we deal with we deal with cash management, we deal with deposits, we deal with loans. We don't just put money on the streets. If your banker can't talk to you about the movement of money in and out of your business and what potential you know money you could make and invest and build uh, from an equity standpoint, then you don't really have a, a good commercial banker. I would say you know lastly, if you're not meeting with your banker a couple times a year, or if they're not asking to meet with you to talk through. You know what your balance sheet looks like, what your AR, your AP, and, and all that looks like. Um, you, you're, you're probably not getting all the service that you should. Um, so you know, make sure that you're taking uh, much like you would talk to your CPA quarterly. Uh, make sure you're talking to your banker at least quarterly to, to check on the health of, uh, of of your of your business. You've been listening to Invest Insights. Be sure to follow, rate, and review this podcast to hear more. I'm Abby Maloney. Thank you for tuning in.